I want to show a picture. I'm going to ask you guys if you recognize this. Anyone know what this is? Some people are thinking satellite, maybe. This is actually a space probe. This is Voyager 2. It's a very important uh, scientific work. It's gone out, and it's actually gone to the, the farthest outreaches of the planet. It's gone to Jupiter and to the Saturn, and then it's actually gone to the ice giants of Uranus and Neptune. And now it's gone even further beyond that. It was launched in 1977, and it's still ticking. Now, if you look at this, you can see that little uh, gold circle in the middle there. That's not a sun disk. That's not like worshiping Pharaoh or whatever. That is a golden record. If you look on the transcripts there, it shows it's a record. It's trying to explain to you, like, play this. There's little diagrams. This was sent out by NASA just in case extraterrestrials find it. And on this, they have all sorts of things. They they have um, our our information. There's photos. There's talks about the different life forms, ourselves, other animals. There's a range of scientific information. But it also includes music. And what's interesting about this piece is as it's sent out into space, there's uh, a number of different musical artists, but there's one who tops them all. And that is Johann Sebastian Bach. Bach has three songs on Voyager 2. Beethoven only has two. <laughs> Bach also has the very first song. So whatever is experienced, they want it to be Bach. The New York Times, when they heard about this, they actually called it Bach to Bach. <laughs> Lewis Thomas, who's a, a biologist, he actually commented on what, when they asked, like, what do you think you would send if you were sending out Voyager? This is what he said. I would send the complete works of Johann Sebastian Bach into outer space on the Voyager spacecraft. But that would be boasting. His point is like, if you listen to this, we we look pretty good as humans. This is glorious music. Now, if you know Bach at all, you'd understand how prolific he was. He wrote hundreds of cantatas. He wrote Music for the Latin church, for the Catholic church. He wrote hymns in the Lutheran style, the Protestant church. He wrote passions and oratorios and moets, hymns, concertos for the orchestra, for the organ, for individual instruments. He was prolific. What's interesting, though, is if you read any of his scores of music, there's a little three letters at the bottom. SDL. You see underneath? Johann Sebastian Bach. SDG, sorry, SDG. Now, what does SDG stand for? Well, we can see him write it again in his own handwriting. Soli Deo Gloria. Only God gets the glory. To God only the glory. Only God glorified. This is interesting. What he's saying here is my artwork, my music is to glorify God. I would go so far to say actually all artwork ends up, if it has any power to it whatsoever, it it glorifies God. Now religious music was at the center of Bach's output. He put out all sorts of music, but hundreds of works that are meant for the, the church. But he didn't just do that. He wanted to craft a relationship with God himself. When we start to look into his music, we recognize, you know what? This SDG, he does it. His music gives glory to God alone. 
And any true art reflects the glory of God. Any true Christian life reflects the glory of God. As we conclude our Art of Exodus series, let's take a look at a very peculiar request on the part of Moses. It begins like this, in Exodus 33. And then Moses said, now, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion upon whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Show me your glory, Lord. You hear this request coming from Moses. It's very interesting, his life. He's experienced God in many ways. You almost think he already saw the glory of God. Didn't he, didn't he see God in a burning bush of fire? Experienced, he said he was told he had to take off his sandals. He was on holy ground. And then later, didn't he see the, the glory of God in this pillar of fire that led the way through the desert? Maybe it's in stages he's seeing this glory, but he's like, God, I want the fullness. Give me a good shot. I want your glory, God. Now, what is this glory thing? When we hear the word glory, it can often kind of have this feeling of maybe a lack of humility. Someone wants glory. Or or you think of like guts and glory. You're on the gridiron. You're going to mash it out. You're going to win that Super Bowl championship and have all the glory. Heroes have glory. And yet here when we hear this, this idea of glory, it's, 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 it has a power to it. Actually, the term literally in Hebrew would mean like weight, like a weightiness. Have you ever saw a piece of artwork that just had a, a weightiness? We're not talking about weight, like a, a negative weight, like oh, an oppression. We're talking like a, just a thickness, a, a heaviness, a profoundness to it, like a weight to it. We're in a song, you just, you just feel it wash over you, just, you felt the power of it. This is glory. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great book called The Weight of Glory. When you think about this idea of glory, it has all this connotation. It has a connotation of splendor. God's splendor just shining out. Or, or copiousness, would be another word, like fullness, the wholeness of who God is. Majesty, abundance, riches, honor, reverence. In fact, this is like a a throne language. This is like kingly language. This is royal language, the fullness of God. So when Moses says, show me your splendor, this idea of the glory of God, God responds. He says, you know what? Okay, I'm going to proclaim my name before you, which is very interesting. This is exactly what happened when kings entered into a room. You wouldn't just see a king walking down the street and... No, no, you'd have a whole retinue coming forward with trumpets, and they would proclaim, the king is here. And then the king would arrive in all of his glory, shining in his gold suit or whatever it would be. God's saying, okay, I'm about to show it to you. 
Now, this term glory, we don't, sometimes we don't understand it. We kind of wonder what it means. Like, what, what kind of attribute is the glory of God? Like, I can understand the love of God, the peace of God, the wisdom of God, like all these things I can claim. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is all of this wrapped up into a ball. The glory of God is all of his attributes put together. It's a, it's a shining forth of who he is in all of its richness. It's his power, his majesty, his might. It's his compassion, his judgment, his gentleness, his strength. This is the glory of God. It's all of who he is, and it is resplendent. When we see the glory of God as, a, as, a, as this kind of combination of all of his characteristics, it's, it's this power. We start to see that, that he has all of this together, and, and Moses is experiencing this all at once, as much as he's able to. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Isn't this interesting that as God's revealing himself in all this glory, all this fullness, that there's this hiddenness to it at the same time? Isn't that an interesting dichotomy there? The glory is his fullness, and yet he kind of shields Moses, protects Moses. And this is interesting because part of the glory of God, part of who God is, is the hiddenness of God. One of the attributes of God is his mystery his unknowableness. You can never know the fullness of God. And so even as he shows his glory, part of what he has to show is his hiddenness. Because if you ever received the entire splendor of God, your mind would explode, be rendered useless, couldn't function anymore. You cannot see the glory of God in its fullness and live. That's how beautiful he is, how glorious he is. This is his power. And so when I think of the glory of God, one of the terms I like to kind of connect to it for myself to understand it is beauty. The beauty of God. The shining light of God. An aspect of God that uh, beauty is something we can kind of understand with our five senses, right? I can taste something and, mmm, that tastes delicious. I can I can receive a hug from someone and kind of all of the stress of just kind of washes away. That's like, like God's touch on me. Like I get a whiff of God, just kind of like a, an apple pie that's baked. Mm. The voice of God, just so sweet, puts me at ease. Through our five senses, we start to understand and comprehend a little bit of who God is. I remember uh, one of the music teachers I work with, a professor, he, um, he, tell, he told me that when he was a, a little child, he remembers, he was three or four, and he remembers this very profoundly. He was staring there and looking at a flower, and it was so beautiful. And he was like, he said, I was just staring at the flower and how beautiful it was, and I was just kind of like lost, and I was staring at this flower. And then he said, it's almost like I could see beyond the flower. 
I could see like the source of its beauty, or I couldn't quite, but I just knew there was something more to it. And then I realized who God was in the, just looking at a pretty flower. Isn't that amazing? A little kid experiencing the glory of God through a flower. Shaped him for his entire life. The beauty of God, the glory of God, as it's shown to us, we start to understand who he is. And sometimes we forget the glory of God. We forget the beauty of God. It's easy to get lost in some of these other things, but guess what? It shines all around us. It's there. And if it ever manifests itself in a concentrated form, it overwhelms you. Have you ever been in the face of a piece of art or a song and it just overwhelms you? You start just shedding tears. The power that's there. The power of art is completely derivative from the glory of God. Anytime you experience power in art, that is the glory of God being released in his creation. That's why we often treat art like a new religion. People's musical preference almost become like their faith. It's not new. God has always been shining his glory to us through this veil of creation and guess what? At the same time, God's always protecting us from his glory. Never overwhelming us to the point of death. We never get to see his full face, but we get to have a little taste of this glory in our life as we can experience here on earth through his spirit. And we're going to hear about this a little bit longer. Now, one thing I want to address really quickly is all this language of like the hand of God covering Moses, seeing his face. Like, is God a, like a human? If you know anything about the Latter-day Church, Latter-day Saints Church and the Mormons, they actually believe that God is a, a person. Now, when I read this passage, there's kind of two interpretations I think work for me. One of them is that it's, maybe it's anthropomorphism. Maybe it's just talking about God's back and his face. It's not really has a back. It's just kind of helping us experience God in terms we understand. You can see my back. I don't think God has a, like, his back would be so huge that it wouldn't fit on the planet Earth, right? I, or maybe, this is another option, maybe this is Jesus himself in a pre-incarnate form showing up. Whatever it is, this glory of God is so powerful that Moses will never be the same. Exodus 34. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. Guys, why are you running away? Ah. Turn off your high beams. This is the aftermath. His face was radiant. I love this word radiant. This idea of radiating light, just this pulsing of energy and light. In fact, my... Selah, my daughter, her middle name is Radiance. Picture to me. Here's the thing, friends. When you spend time with God, it changes you. It changes you. If you're really spending time soaking in the presence of the glory of God, it changes you. You don't even realize it. It makes you radiant. A lot of us, we talk about wanting to change. There's help, help books, and it's all can be useful, but if you really want to change, can I just challenge you to spend some time in the presence of God, soaking in 
his presence, letting his light flood you. Let his glory shine on you. Seek his face. Notice this reaction of those around Moses, even his brother. It's, it's shining so brightly that they're, they're scared of him. Imagine if you had that impression on people when you were just talking to them. There's just something radiating off of you. And now realize it's true. You are radiating the spirit of the holy God. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak to the Lord. Isn't this incredible? He's so changed by the presence of the glory of God that now he has to put a veil over his face because they're not ready. They haven't gone through the steps. The glory of God can be too much for some people. Notice, you, people aren't ready for all of the radiance at once. It, it, it takes gradience. In phases, maybe first you have the burning bush, then you have the pillar, and then you have the glory. This is part of life. We keep experiencing new layers of the glory of God. I don't know about you, sometimes I look back on my past and like, oh, I wish I could experience that glory that I had when I was in high school when I first kind of gave my life to the Lord. Oh, I wish I could remember when I first ended with the pastor. And I was, it's so easy to kind of look back, realize, friends, there's a new level of glory awaiting. The glory of God is available to be experienced. We see this, you're saying, like, what do you mean? Like, this is Moses. He's a very special person. He is, but let's listen to what Paul has to say in the New Testament. He starts to digest this, and he says, this is what that story means for us as Christians today. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, this is the law, this is the, the, the Sinai covenant, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily in the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul's painting a picture here. He's pointing out Moses was so glorious, people couldn't even look at him, but the Holy Spirit of God, through Christ, more glorious. Imagine that you have something more than Moses. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, the law where I started realizing all the evil, bad things I did, but still came with glory. How much, glory, how much glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, salvation through faith and trusting in God and through Christ alone? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? How much greater is the glory of Jesus? A glory that lasts. 
In Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of the glory of God. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses read, a veil covers their hearts. It's so easy for us to get religious. It's so easy for us to allow a veil to come between us and God. And yet we realize the veil represents like a blocking of the glory of God. With Moses, it was kind of kind to the people who couldn't experience it. It's like before Jesus, people could only look at God through sunglasses. Now we can see him without any shadows in between us. The glory of God looks like Jesus. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, or or reflect is a better word here, We all, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Turning to Jesus takes away the veil. And guess what happens when the veil is removed? We begin to reflect God's glory. This is the picture of the reality of of who we are. We talk about Moses reflecting the glory. We are to reflect the glory. The beauty of God is bouncing off of your faces. I can see it. The glory of God is transforming you even as it reflects off of you. I have a picture here. When I think of the glory of God, I think of like bouncing off and reflecting off of me, but it's also slowly but surely transforming my, my face, my body, my soul. It's changing me. The glory of God, as it, bow, as it covers me, changes me, and then I reflect back the glory of God. He thought Moses was special. And, and he was. He was the only one who had this kind of face-to-face, like mano a mano, relationship with God. But what's interesting is, the good news is, we don't need a mediator like Moses We should stop comparing ourselves maybe to Moses and start thinking about all the average, everyday Israelites at that time. How were they related to the glory of God? Well, they didn't get to go in the cleft of the rock. They couldn't even stand to see the guy who saw the glory. They didn't get to taste the glory. They didn't get to see his fullness or his goodness. But you do. We do. We get to see the glory of the Lord in a way that regular people never did back then. In Jesus, everything changes. The glory of God starts to be reflected in your life in a powerful way. This is the artistry of glory. And I was trying to think of a a way to help visualize this, understand this. I came across a very interesting artist who works with cans and and, and made me recognize the the idea of God slowly but surely working in my life. And so as we watch this video, I'd like you to just think about what is it like when God is, is molding me to reflect his glory? 
we're all just simple aluminum pop cans in the hands of God. As we come to, come to faith in Christ, he, he scrubs off all that layer that was separating us from God. He starts shining us off. Notice it's not our work. It's his work through his grace. He starts to prepare a surface where we start to reflect God. And notice how unique each piece can be. He just starts to shape you. He just starts to help you become a reflector of the glory of God. Imagine how he slowly but painstakingly has his thumb slowly impressing in your life and shaping you. Those are the parts where he's just smoothing it out, those little pieces. Where is he doing that in your life right now? He's turning you into something special. You are reflecting his glory in a very unique way. We are works of art that reflect the glory of God. And our life is an artwork. He is creating a masterpiece of God's design. And so when you, you watch a little bit later today in the, the last worship set, our visiting artist, James Rudd, as he, he paints, just consider how God is making an artwork out of your life. Just like we see God in the music of Bach, we also see God in the life of Bach. A hard life where he was trying to, to make it off his music. He had 20 kids. He had a very hard time. There was people who were considered better than him in his own age, even though he was so gifted and so talented. It wasn't until later that people recognized his mastery of music. And yet God reflected himself in the life of Bach in a way that inspires us to give his life to reflecting the glory of God. Moody has a very interesting quote about the life of Moses that I think might help us understand, where, where am I in my journey of reflecting God's glory? This is what Dwight, I mean, yeah, what D.L. Moody says. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody. 40 years learning he was a nobody. And 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. 40 years in Pharaoh's temple. 40 years in the backwoods of the wilderness. And then 40 years leading God's people. God can do glorious things with nobodies. This is the artistry of glory. Once we start to realize that we're just here to reflect God's glory. Next week, we're going to move into a new series that's kind of growing out of this called Reflecting Perfection. And the idea here isn't that we in any way can conjure up or make our own perfection, but what we're just called to do is reflect the perfect character of Jesus. His kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his humility, his obedience. As we start to reflect these characteristics, not that we have to create them in ourselves, we just reflect his character. We start to recognize that's our calling. So ask yourself, how do I reflect God's glory? How are you uniquely reflecting God's glory to those around you? Is there anything that's interfering with your reflection? Anything that's getting in the way? Just take it to God. Lay it to his feet. Ask him, God, show me your glory. 
Ask him to reflect his glory in you. Spend time requesting, just say, God, shine your face upon me. Shine your face upon me, Lord. We had a prayer, a week of prayer, and we talked about this idea, Lord, I seek your face, your face I seek. May that be our call this week. Our God loves us. He wants to be reflected in our lives. He, in Jesus, he just made a way to wash away all the junk, all the things that get in the way of the reflection. He cleaned you. He shined you up to be his mirror. So as you go about this week, let's seek to reflect Jesus. Isaiah powerfully puts this to us. He, he, he helps us explain when Jesus comes, this is what happens. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and the glory will be seen upon you. May the glory of God be reflected in our lives.